to uh, a new episode of the IT Factor. I'm uh, Dan Craigie, your host. Uh, joining me today is, we know him internally as the, uh, as the professor, uh, but it's Dan Snape. Hey, Dan. Hey, DK. How you doing, mate? Good, mate. Good. So Dan is joining me today. We're going to be talking about all things exchange. So in the previous episode, um, as many listeners, listeners will know, we talked about what is uh, M365 or Office 365. Um, so today, I thought we'd jump straight in and, and look at one of the, the core products um, and I guess one of the low-hanging fruit when it comes to migrations. Uh, so that is migrating Exchange on-prem to Exchange online. Uh, we're going to cover off a, a few different things, um, but I thought we'd dive straight into it, Dan, if that's good yeah. with you. Uh, I, I would normally ask how people are, but I know that you're just generally <laughs> awesome. But I will actually ask you, um, have you had a good week? Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah. I'm still healthy. Uh, no colds or flus yep. or sicknesses, so living the dream. Nice, nice. Well, uh, let's just dive straight in, um, and we'll get this this uh, get the ball rolling. So, uh, as an organisation, uh, if you're looking to migrate to to Microsoft 365, um, and you've identified that uh, obviously email is one of the um, one of the things that needs to go, as an organisation, what sort of things could they do um, to prepare for that move? What what are some of the sort of first steps, if you like? Um, we as consultants, when we go in, what are the things that we look for um, in design workshops and these sorts of things um, that we'd get feedback from the customer on? Well, like, uh, the first thing that obviously customers need to think about is, is where they're coming from. There are a lot of different uh, ways that you can host your email. There might, you might be hosting it in Google, or you might have it in some other form of um, Linux mail server, or you may have it on premises exchange. So the, that's the first real thing that you need to think about because that source location really um, dictates how you're gonna migrate your um, mail to um, Exchange Online. Now, ex ex Microsoft do support all our migration from all of those sort of source um, areas, but what that source looks like, it di um, dictates what the migration looks like as well. So, so that's the first thing. Yep. Um, the, the next thing then is is really around how you you know you want to migrate from you know that source like the location. You know, how big is your mail environment? If you've got maybe 50 or 100 users or mailboxes, then you might think about a big bang migration where you sort of migrate everyone at once. If you've got tens of thousands or thousands or even hundreds of thousands of users, then a big bang is not really going to work. You're going to have to do a stage migration. Just because yeah, it's you just can't, not practical, yeah, right? Microsoft just can't ingest that amount of data in, in a quick quick migration over a weekend even. Um, so they're the sort of two things I'd, I'd look at first in, in, you know, just to establish, you know, what that migration looks like for your, your company. Yep. So we're looking at, um, and there'll be themes running through all of these podcasts, things like know your data, right? It's integral at the beginning of a project that, that you have an understanding of 
what it is that you want to yep. migrate. So if you're, um, and, and rightfully so, you point out that there are other platforms other than Exchange Online, that, uh, sorry, Exchange On-Prem, that you'd be migrating from. Um, but having an understanding of um, not just the user mailboxes, but shared mailboxes, resources, these all, all those types of um, objects, but then also public folders, um, whether you're unfortunately stuck with using public folders in your organization. I know Microsoft would really prefer that you didn't, but um, so having an understanding of your data at the outset is yeah. integral, right? It's You need that um, even just from a licensing perspective. So understanding what licenses you need are also yep. key. Um, and you mentioned Big Bang versus, I guess, batching mm. up uh, and migrating. So having an understanding of the approach that works best for, for your organization as well yeah. um, are, are critical. So what, what are the next steps? Once you've understood, once you've got an understanding of the data that you've got that you need to migrate, um, do we then start looking at tooling? Um, like what would be the next step? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I guess, you know, the most common scenario that, that we see is where an organization has exchange on-prem. Um, so then we, we, we generally recommend the native, native tooling, a hybrid migration um, is, is the term that, that's used and that sort of um, creates a, a link between the on-premises organization and exchange online and, and you can do a, a migration where users in both those organizations can collaborate um, effectively like they're in the same exchange organization like they haven't migrated um, but there are other as, as we said before there are other scenarios where uh, hybrid might not suit so you might need a third-party tool to do that migration. You know, you might be migrating from Google Mail or uh, Google Workspace or, or, or again, some other third-party uh, exchange environment where you can't put in a hybrid or you can't create that link. So then we can look at that tooling uh, and see what meets the requirements for the organization. Um, again, the, the, as you mentioned before, public folders are a thing. Not all tools do a public folder migration. So if you've got that, you want to, you don't want to have multiple tools. So you look at, um, you know, what, uh, whether that tooling meets the requirements of migrating public folders. You might want to use a cloud-based tool, or you might want to use an on-premises tool where, where you install some some hardware or software on-premises and do the migration using using tooling or, or cloud-based where it's a, a total, you know, a, 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 a serve, software as a service type migration. Um, yep. So yeah, that, that's the definitely the, once you've got that established, then you can really get down into the, you know, the design of what that migration looks like. Yeah, we, we won't get into the tooling no. side of things into any, any great depth in this podcast. We will have a, a future episode where we'll look at the various uh, tools available, um, but the one of the considering, fact considering factors around the tools is um, the peripheral applications or, or business uh, services that you're using, right? So if you're running SharePoint, if you're running, um, if you want to be migrating uh, files um, into OneDrive, etc. So the, the um, and then with SharePoint, uh, how um, advanced your 
organization leverages the tool? Um, you know, do you have workflows and custom applications and so on? Mm. So th those will largely dictate what type of uh, what tool you end up going with. And it certainly narrows down the options, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned hybrid. Mm. Um, that is the most common yeah. um, setup that we see. Walk me through what a, a standard hybrid would look like. You know, um, we we quite often see Exchange 2013, sometimes Exchange 2010, um, more often than not, ex, you know, 16 or 19. Um, what does that hybrid look like? Can you do it with your existing on-prem infrastructure? Do you need to stand up additional servers? Um, what's the, the, the general um, implementation look like? Yeah, well, so, so a hybrid, um, as, as I said before, is, is basically a, a, a bunch of settings that are configured both on-premises and, and in the cloud that, that allow you to share your exchange on-prem and, and your exchange online organisations. So effectively for end users, they, they, they seem or users seem to be in the same organisation. So um, a hybrid is compatible with uh, exchange versions from 2010 onwards. Uh, so anything after 2010 or including 2010, you can run an, a hybrid environment um, in or configure a hybrid um, exchange environment. Um, the, the caveat there is that all exchange versions have to be the latest um, cumulative update or update release. So, or the, the previous one. So for um, those versions, you, you basically need to be very up to date with the, the updates that you're installing on Exchange. Um, so a quick question on that. Is that, um, and I know previous versions may very well work, mm -hmm. but it's a requirement by Microsoft that they won't support the environment yep. unless you're on the latest and greatest. Yeah, and in fact, the Apple hybrid wizard that, that, that is supplied by Microsoft to run that um, configuration or set up that hybrid checks for that version. So it won't actually run if, if the version is right. below a certain level. So it is, a, it, okay. I mean, while you can manually configure some of these hyb or hybrid settings, it's definitely not recommended and 100% you should be on the latest um, update for that exchange version before you run a hybrid. Yep. Okay. Um, so once, once you've got to that sort of prerequisite, uh, there, there's a couple of other things that you need. Um, one uh, is that you have um, a couple of DNS records for your exchange on-prem on environment. So AutoDiscover does have to be published externally. There, there are some organizations who don't do that. And then there also needs to be a um, hybrid namespace that points to your on-premises on exchange environment and, and that needs to be published externally as well. So th there just needs to be an auto-discover that, that the DNS record can point users outside of your internal network to your exchange server and the same with that hybrid namespace. It, it needs to be able to get to your on-premises exchange server. Um, once you've got those, yeah, it's just a matter of, um, oh, sorry, the other thing is, is a, um, a certificate that is uh, issued by a um, third party certificate um, vendor. Um, so it, you can't use internal certificates for a hybrid. So that namespace, um, whatever you use, um, has to be protected or 
has to be present on a, on a certificate that's issued by an external or third party certificate um, vendor. Um, yep. So that's the prerequisites um, pretty much in a nutshell. After that, uh, it's just the manner of running through the, the, the hybrid wizard. Now it's, 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 a, it's basically a utility, um, a bunch of scripts in, in the end that, that Microsoft run, um, provide to you. You download it, you run it preferably from your exchange server. Um, and the reason that is, is that because it does use the um, PowerShell, uh, Exchange PowerShell scripts uh, or commandlets to configure that, that um, Exchange hybrid um, configuration. So yeah, preferably you run it on your Exchange server and then you basically um, follow, the, follow the steps as outlined. Very, very simple process um, to do that. Yep. So let, let's talk um, real quick about Mailflow um, because there's there's a potential decision that needs yep. to be made up front in terms of um, where where you want that Mailflow yep. coming in yep. and where you want that whether you want it coming in via M three six five or whether you want that or Exchange Online or whether you want that yep. inbound to your organisation first and then routing up to M three six five until. Um, you've cut over everyone. So is, is there a best practice or a preference um, or is it really dependent on, on what the client is interested in doing? Yeah, well, it, it definitely is dependent on on what the, you know, the customer has in their environment. There's, there's a couple of scenarios that, that are need to be identified. The, the first scenario is, is whether there's a, um, some sort of um, message hygiene system being used, yep. um, whether that's cloud-based or, or on-premises. Um, a couple of examples are here. You, you, know, you might have something like Proofpoint or, or Symantec that you're doing sort of any spam, any malware for your messaging. So generally um, for a cloud-based service, um, obviously the MX record um, externally dictates how that message routes to your um, environment. So for something with a cloud-based service, they'll have an MX record that points to that cloud service. So you wouldn't necessarily change the, the route that, that that message takes. Um, what you would look at is, in, and generally what I recommend in a, in a migration scenario is that uh, what, once you've sort of migrated, you know, half or, or a bit more than half of your mailboxes, it's worth thinking about where, when, or if you want to change that mail flow. So say if you've got, say, Proofpoint, you've got your messages coming into Proofpoint. Generally, you, the initially you'll have those messages go to your on-premises exchange environment, and then from um, there for a migrated mailbox, that message will then be routed into Exchange Online for that to be delivered to that Exchange Online mailbox. Once you've got a majority of your mailboxes uh, in Exchange Online, in terms of a you know um, network utilization perspective, it's worth flipping that around. So instead of bringing your messages coming into your on-prem environment, send it to Exchange Online and then just have those messages that are destined for on-prem mailbox coming into your environment. So you sort of reduce that network utilization and, and perhaps the bandwidth available as well for other, for other services. Um, the, the other scenario is if you've got an on-prem uh, exchange, oh, sorry, message hygiene system, you might have an iron port or something on-prem. 
Um, in that scenario, it's very similar, except you're always going to have to send or use that network or your on-premises network to, for message routing because obviously that, that hygiene service, if you want to retain it, um, you need to um, obviously keep all that mail coming into your on-prem um, exchange environment. Now, there are some scenarios where messages also have to go through exchange, both incoming and outgoing. There's some things like you might have some signaturing software that you've got installed on an on exchange server. You might have some stuff in the um, that, that is in that sort of transport layer on an exchange server. You've got some third party applications that might do some things to messages at, on the exchange server at the transport layer. So um, there's also a scenario where organizations do have to route both incoming and outgoing mail through your on-premises exchange server. So that is definitely a scenario um, yep. that, that is, that is uh, available to organizations um, if they have to do it. it it's it, not, you know, if we can get around it or get, you know, move away from it, I would definitely recommend yeah. it because it, it basically you've then still got your on-premises exchange environment as a, as a, you know, as a failure point, you know, if something happens to that yeah. network or exchange server goes down, incoming outgoing mail doesn't, doesn't happen. Uh, you can't send or receive mail. So, yeah. So there's yeah. two things we haven't touched on. Uh, one, and I guess this is a, a prerequisite consideration would be the UPNs. So if you're internally using an org as an organization, you're using a .local type domain and everyone logs in with um, usernames rather than a full UPN. Yep. Um, so that would be, you know, username at um, organization.com. Mm. Um, one can, you need to consider um, implementing uh, a full FQDN uh, UPN for users uh, when you migrate to uh, M365. I, another one, I guess, is also um, Exchange Archiving. If you're running on-prem archiving solution, um, there's broader considerations there about rehydration versus um, migration of you know archive mailboxes, these sorts of things. Um, and for what it's worth, um, we've got a, a new um, we being in Centra, Dan and I both work for Incentra. Um, we've got a new best practice guide for uh, migrating um, Exchange archived, uh, whether it's Exchange archiving or or others, um, into uh, and complex archiving um, into Exchange Online. So uh, we've got a, a great, uh, as I said, a great guide that we'll provide a link to in the in the show description or the show notes. But um, let's talk for a minute about the UPNs and and archiving. Um, what Generally speaking, um, for smaller organizations, they'll either be using native exchange archiving or more than likely no archiving, but larger organizations will you know, be leveraging everything from EV to you know, others. Yep. Um, what's the general approach there? Yeah, well, um, so that was, that's a good, uh, good thing to bring up was the, the UPNs because one of the things that, that we didn't, or I didn't mention as a prerequisite for a, for a, in particular for a hybrid migration is that you do need to be syncing your users from on yeah. active yeah. directory into Azure AD. Now that's usually run as part of using AAD connect. Um, that's a tool. It's basically a cut down tool of, of Microsoft identity manager. Um, and it just simplifies that synchronization of, of users, um, from on-prem to uh, to Azure Active Directory. 
Now, generally organizations um, sort of sit into one of two categories with their on-prem Active Directory. They, they either have a, um, a, a dot .local or a, or a dot .something um, name for their on-prem Active, Active Directory. So I it, guess it, a non-routable domain. non-routable, correct, yeah. So yep. it's, um, you know, uh, business.local as their Active Directory main. And, and most organizations, they don't change the UPNs for their users. It's really not. Um, On-premises Active Directory still uses UPNs, but it's not really seen by the end user or even by admins. Most users just no. use their sort of SAMR account name um, and mm -hmm. log into their workstations or log into applications and stuff using, using that SAMR account name. So it's sort of hidden away. Um, other organizations, they do use an internet routable um, name for their Active Directory. So they have, you know, for example, incentragroup.com as their domain name. Uh, so that by default will be their UPN. Now, when you use AAD Connect, you can only sync a UPN that has an internet routable domain name. So um, for instance, if you, you know, had incentragroup.com, then everything would be fine. Every user would then be synced with an incentragroup.com UPN. Um, unfortunately, if you don't, then you're going to have to um, change your UPNs. Now, there's some other ways that you can do it um, if, if you, you know, must keep a .local or a, a non-routable uh, domain name, but uh, strongly recommend that you configure mm. users with a internet routable um, domain name. Now, the other the other consideration here is is around a user experience consideration um, because UPN is what's used by um, Microsoft three sixty five services to log. Um, now, there is some stuff coming around where SMTP addresses could be used. There's some previews that are, that are being used. There's some, some things that um, they don't work with that preview at the moment, so it's not strongly recommended. I still strongly recommend um, using the UPN to log in. Um, now, the, the user experience I was just talking about is where um, a user, you know, they know their email address. Everyone knows what their email address is. Users don't necessarily know, and, that, and the email address doesn't have to match their, their UPN. So if you don't have a matching UPN and email address, that means the user has to remember two things. They have to remember their email address, and then they have to remember their UPN when they log in. So one thing I strongly recommend for organizations is that UPNs match email addresses. That way the user doesn't have to remember two As I said, hopefully Microsoft will come along and, and you'll be able to use SMTP addresses, so an email address to log in, but at that stage, mm. at that stage it's not quite there. So that's the thing with, with um, sort of that directory or identity. Um, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a discussion that will be had as, as part of that migration if, if they haven't already done. Um, so with, with, with archiving, it's... Um, if you've got on-premises archiving, generally uh, the, the majority of organizations that we see, or a lot of it is around um, EV or Enterprise Vault. Yep. Um, it's probably one of the biggest tools that, that organizations have used. Um, now, yeah, as you say, we've, we've got a, 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 one of the best sort of migrations team for that sort of space in, in, you know, on the planet. It, it's, they've been doing it for 
well, since Incentra was born recently, you know, 12 years. They've got 12 odd years ago, yeah. Yep. Sort of migrations. Um, and yeah, really strong in that space. And it really, it's a discussion around, you know, some organizations want to keep Enterprise Vault, some don't. Microsoft, you know, if you've got a licensed mailbox, you, you have, you know, a pretty big um, archive available to you and it's cloud-based. So, you know, if you've got yep. on-premises EV, you know, you've got storage that you've got to supply, you've got servers you've got to maintain, you've got all, you know, mail routing for journaling and all that kind of stuff that you have to maintain. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that you can, you know, get rid of a lot of that on-premises stuff. You know, there's a part of that migrations, you know, might, might have stubs in your, you know, in your out, in your yep. outlook, which is basically a pointer to a message that's gone into Enterprise Vault. It's not a, it's not a full message. It's just a pointer. Yep. Um, so things like that need to be addressed because once you've migrated to Exchange Online, those pointers don't work anymore. Um, so you need to, 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 you know, take that into account how that journaling works, how that archiving works, archiving rules and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that will be um, discussed as part of obviously the, you know, the design and, and how the organization wants to, wants to move or if the organization wants to move away from on-prem archiving and journaling to a yep. cloud-based solution. I, and I guess whether they can, so there may, may be regulatory requirements yeah. that yeah. That mean or or uh, BCP type requirements where the organisation yeah. says no, we we want to keep some yeah. stuff on prem, and yeah. and yeah, sure. the solution can can cater for that, right? Yeah. So, now one of the yeah. one of the things with with specifically around journaling is um, Exchange Online. Actually, you can definitely journal to, uh, using Exchange Online. You can't use an Exchange Online mailbox though for, for journaling. No, it's not Correct, yeah. So you really need to think about how you want that journaling to look um, as part of the solution as well. Um, so you might need a third party, you might need to retain um, some sort of on-premises um, infrastructure to, to sort of have that journaling. Um, yep. go on. So that, that's something to think about as well. Yep. Um, uh, I was going to say something else, but I forgot totally what it was. Oh, well, that happens. If it comes back to you, let me know. Oh, no, well, I remember now. No, so oh, there we go. Uh, okay, you mentioned back. before around um, uh, sort of legal requirements and stuff like that. Now, one of the things that um, the, the tooling that, that we use to do that sort of archive migration um, takes into account those those legal requirements and you have a chain of custody that is documented as part of that. You can see legally that there's no changes to messages as part of that migration yep. um, through that chain of custody um, view and reporting that we do when we do those migrations. So that's, that's critical in, in those type of um, migrations for a lot of businesses. It is a legal um, requirement for, for a lot of organizations Yep. Prove that this is the message that um, that the the person received, or that we've we've journaled and archived. Uh, so we do that. Do have that chain of custody view as well. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we've got 
people into the cloud. They've mm. migrated their exchange. Are there, are there any any best practices that, uh, I mean, we've, we've touched on them, I guess, over the course of the discussion, but is there anything else? Because we're sort of getting to the end now. We've got them into the cloud. They're all mm. done. We, we, yeah, you know, nothing else to do. Shake your hands. Um, okay. I mean, with the exception of, and again, there will this will be an underlying theme through many, many episodes of this podcast. Mm. But uh, one suggestion I would always make for internal resources who are either looking at doing the, the, the migration themselves mm. yep. um, or uh, will be taking over ownership and management of it is go and learn PowerShell. Yes. Um, PowerShell is, is critical um, yep. in just modern Windows-based, yep. Microsoft-based yep. technology. Mm. So that, that would be, I, I would... Yep. My recommendation is always go and learn PowerShell, but what other uh, best practices or um, um, aspects to Exchange Online, I guess, in particular, um, and that migration process? Yeah, well, I guess the, there comes a time when a lot of organizations want to get rid of their on-prem Exchange servers totally. So you, you, you've moved your mailboxes to exchange online so what do you do on-prem now up until sort of a couple of weeks ago oh sorry maybe a couple of months ago actually um so it's the latest version of exchange 20 latest cu of exchange 2019 um, before that you had to keep a an exchange server on-prem to manage that hybrid scenario uh, that and, was and mainly we, due to AD attributes and, and these sorts of yeah, things, right? Yeah, 100%, yeah. So what you're doing with, with that sort of AAD Connect is syncing users from on-prem to Azure AD. So what that means is that the sort of uh, source of truth, I guess, for those AD accounts is your on-premises environment um, hmm. because all of those settings are synced from on-premises. So you need to be able to have tools to manage those attributes. Now, Microsoft only support managing Exchange attributes using Exchange tools, which means the sort of the Exchange management shell and the, the Exchange management um, uh, website, the ECP. Yep. Yep. Um, up until a couple of weeks ago, that meant you had to have Exchange server on-prem. Um, so now with the latest version of 2019, you get to use um exchange management tools without actually physically having exchange server on premises right so you can install um basically it's just the powershell commandlets um on a, on a management server um can be any server so um, jump box and, or something like yeah, that yeah correct yep. an admin box anything like that so the, the thing as you mentioned before though is that it's purely powershell management mm. you, you don't have the 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 web interface or the ecp present to use a gui to manage exchange attributes at all so as you say you, you if you want to go down that route you'd need to be your, your admin and your um sort of help desk and and your provisioning um teams need to be familiar with those PowerShell because that's the only thing, only thing present. So, uh, so yeah, definitely recommended, that, strongly recommended yep. PowerShell skills. So that that's awesome. So that I'm, I'm actually going to, based on that, I'm going to circle back around to um, earlier in the podcast, mm -hmm. we were discussing around how to set up the hybrid configuration, et cetera, right? So yep. we're now looking at Exchange Server 2019 that mm -hmm. supports a yep. uh, what is effectively a headless management of exchange attributes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so in that scenario, if you're an organization that's running exchange 2010, 2013, or even 2016, yep. the, the, the recommendation there is going to be don't upgrade 
right? Because that's a whole other project. Stand yep. up a single exchange server, exchange running Exchange 2019, um, migrate through that. So that's your hybrid server. Yep. Migrate through that into Exchange Online, which means you can then decommission your Exchange 2010, 2013, 2016 environments, yep. retain that Exchange 2016, uh, 2019, yep. and eventually decommission that as well and just yeah, leverage the right. tools. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that's definitely um, a, a recommended scenario that because, because the, you know, the latest versions of, of the software exchange have, you know, new features and, and new, new abilities, I guess. Um, definitely, if you can go to the latest, it's definitely recommended. Now, obviously, there are some support requirements around 2019. Um, you definitely can't go directly to 2019 with 2010 on-prem no. because no. 2010 doesn't support. You, you can go upwards of two versions. So 2010, you can go up to, uh, you can go 2013, 2016. Yep. Um, you can't go above above that. Um, so 2013 and onwards, you, you can you can go to a sort of 2019 server. Now, now one thing on that as well is that. Um, there has been some announcements from Microsoft that, that they're not producing a new version of Exchange for a few years now. Right. Um, they've had some delays. Um, I think a lot of their development or, or engineering team were sort of seconded a few months ago to um, address a lot of those security issues that, are, that occurred with Exchange. Uh, so yeah, there's, they've sort of put uh, the new version of exchange on, on the back burner a little bit because of that delay. So yeah, there, there won't be a new version of exchange. I, I believe in, until sort of 2024, 25 sort of right. time period. Yep. Um, so yeah, it's worth thinking about 2019 as, as the next version, um, to go to for sure. Oh, good. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. There was something that I was going to say, and now I've forgotten it. So it's my turn to be, you know, to have that sort of moment of senility. Um, one, of, one of the things I will say is um, a, a lot of the reasons ex uh, people keep Exchange Server around is is for um, a bit of uh, sort of like message relaying. Mm, yep. So you might have some devices or applications that, that, that do relay, um, you know, your printers that are, you know, sort of scanned to email and monthly reports out of your HR Correct. or payroll. Yeah, or, yep. exactly right. They send emails directly now. Traditionally, that's been, you know, a, a relay um, connector on your Exchange server. Now, that's a very valid reason to keep Exchange around on-prem. Um, you can definitely configure those devices and applications to relay through Exchange Online. So that's worth thinking about. Yep. Um, and there's also the option of using the Edge Transport um, option as well. Yep. Now. Edge Transport reduces the um, size of the Exchange install. It doesn't have that sort of you know, bigger IIS install. And so some of the security are mitigated by just using an Edge Transport. And you can have a relay on that as well. You can configure a relay on that as well. Yep. So there's two, op uh, two options. I, I personally would, would recommend uh, if, if you can do it, relaying directly through Exchange Online. Again, it sort of 
mitigates the risk of an on-premises failure occurring yeah. and, and not getting those messages. Um, so, you know, it's sort of, um, yeah, it's a, I think it's a little, a better option or a more redundant option, um, or yep. has more redundancy in that option, but yeah, there, yeah. there are definitely some reasons to, to keep that around. And, and I think, you know, one of the, the good things about a hybrid that, that I haven't mentioned before is that Microsoft do offer a hybrid license, um, for your exchange version. So you, you don't necessarily, you don't need to, if you haven't got any mailboxes on prem, you're only using it for management or you're only using it for relaying of messages. You don't need to buy an exchange license. They will give you a license for that um, yeah. as well. So that, still that's what I was going to mention before. Okay. And then I forgot was the, the licensing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that's yeah, a good thing. But I mean, as I said, yeah, you still need an OS license, but you don't need to, to pay for an exchange license if, if that's all you're doing with your exchange on yep. box. And that's, that's also another reason to, to look at, um, relaying through, uh, office 365 exchange online, um, is because, you know, it, it reduces the cost of on-prem infrastructure <clears throat> down to zero. Yeah, right? yeah for uh, sure. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, depending on the type of relay, you may need, you know, to have a license yep. in Exchange Online, if, you know, if they need a mailbox or something like that, um, some applications required to log into a mailbox and, and do that relaying or, or, you know, there's some requirements around that. So you, yep. you may need a license, but yeah, you definitely reduce your on-premises licensing costs if, if you um, if you can get rid of those servers um, yep. as well. Cool. I think that's it. Um, I'm, yeah, I think we're good. I think we're done. Cool. I'm, I'm hoping that, that uh, our listeners have got something out of that. Again, I will mention again the um, uh, the guide that we've got out, the best practice guide for exchange uh, archiving. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, there will be a link in the description or in the, the show notes. Um, depends whether you're listening or watching. Um, and um, yeah, I think I think we're good. Dan, thanks for joining me today. This was um, okay. me, this was good. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to have you on more often. You will talk about Exchange and Microsoft three six five stuff. All the yeah. good stuff. Yeah, none of that other stuff. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, we'll be back again next week, um, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks everyone. Cheers. <laughs>